And before this week's show, uh, most of you will know the late Vince Kingston, who was a friend of all of us that we lost last week. We have been planning on recording this show on Thursday evening when the news broke. Vince was a man who gave his all to X-Wing. He gave up weekend after weekend after weekend. I first met him when he was judging nationals back in 2015. And it wasn't a big event, certainly in Europe, unless Vince was there. X-Wing will not be the same without our friend Vince. And if you've had any time to read some of the comments that have been made about him on Facebook this week, you will know that he was thought of as a kind, generous, determined, wonderful, wonderful man. Vince, we're really going to miss you. Hello there. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Sith Taker Snapshots podcast. With me for this show is Rich Polly. Hey, mate. And in this one, we're going to chat about variants. Variants has become quite a talking point since second edition got going, and it definitely affects the X-Wing experience in a way that is, is can, be, or can be quite dramatic. Uh, Rich, what, what do you think of when you when you hear the word variance? Well, um, we got a, a, def- a definition of it from local friendly mathematician Dan Slobodian, um, but I'm not sure we want to um, bore anybody with that. It's something to do with summing the square of the means or some nonsense like that. Um, but it basically means the the impact uh, from from the perspective we're going to be talking about. I guess um, it means the impact on of dice not rolling what you expect them to roll at any given point in the game. Um, so, you know, we all pretty much or probably know, and if you don't, here's a learning point, know that the average result on three red dice is hit focus blank. Um, but what happens when you roll blank blank focus? So what happens when you roll three natural crits out of hand? Those aren't the expected results. Um, and obviously they can happen. Um, they do happen. Um, it is a dice game, and we all have a hundred stories about the times when we we lost a game simply because of that one time my dice blanked out when they shouldn't have done or whatever. Um, but yeah, to, to me, variance is just it's just that when dice uh, trend away from what you would expect uh, when you throw them onto the table. And, and do you think that's changed since second edition has come on? It hasn't because. There's always been dice, and the dice haven't changed. So we've still got the same faces on the red and green dice. The the probabilities of rolling um, your natural results out of hand are still the same as they always were. Um, I think what has changed significantly in the change from first to second edition um, is that it is much harder to fill your list with modifications that are easy to access. Um, so towards the end of first edition, um, the lists that were doing well all had access to double mods on attack. So, um, for example, target lock and focus. Um, some had triple mods, um, target lock, focus, and guidance chips. So, just in case you blanked out on your uh, on on your reroll of your one dice with the target lock, your guidance chips could flip it to a hit anyway. Um, so, you know, triple modified attacks. Um, you had ships like Quick Draw who were able to double modify double tap attacks quite quite easily, trivially, in fact. Um, In second edition, from the early days of streaming example games, the developers said, hey, you know, we're going to make double mods harder to get access to, particularly double mods on defense. 
so it's really hard to get focus evade now, as an example. I think there's only two ships on the game who can effectively get it, and they're force users with access to the evade action. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think it's still... The game is still the same. Um, Variance is now having a bigger impact because the designers have deliberately made it harder to mitigate those edge case rolls where you don't roll what you're expecting. I mean, the way I, I like to think about it is that in first edition, the bell curve uh, was broad, but had a very steep, narrow peak in the centre. Whereas in second edition, the, the bell curve of, of dice results is much flatter and wider. And it's much easier to find yourself on one side of the line or the other, and actually quite a long way from the centre in, whereas in, in 1.0, it was actually quite hard, if you had a well-designed list, to drag yourself very far away from the centre of the bell curve. Yeah, I think it's it's probably a fair thing to say, um, although, again, I hope Dan's not listening because he'll be going mad about our use of the term bell curve because statistically we're both talking absolute bobbins. Um, so, But I, I know what you mean. Um, so, yes, and that's simply because in... In first edition, you always had access to extra modifications to allow yourself to move yourself away from the average dice roll. So if the average dice roll is always hit focus blank, but you've always got a target lock and a focus, then instead of expecting to get two hits on a three dice dice roll, as you would if you've got one modification, you're expecting to get two and a half, which usually trends to, towards three. Um, if you've got triple modified harpoon missiles, for example, um, as has been the thing that people had with, you know, target lock focus guidance chips, then, you know, you were getting four, one of them was a crypt. Um, and then you would fire a second one, which would trigger the, the special effect and it would all be hideous. Um, and what that those modifications were doing was allowing you to trend away from average and towards um, exceptional. So even when you rolled really, really badly, like if you blank out into blank out, you could still get one or two hits so you were never actually blanking out um, because the modifications were so intense that you completely mitigated the lower end of the of the potential dice results um, so a bad result actually uh, towards the end of first edition was when your dice were average um, and you expected always better than average okay that's that's interesting i mean the way i always thought about it was how far uh, dice would move from what was expected, but what was expected in 1.0 was a very different starting point because of the mods. And what that meant was, because the maximum you can get on three dice is three hits, that there wasn't actually very far to move to the, the right of that curve. Whereas there was a distance to go to the left of that curve if you uh, triple blanked and then triple blanked again. But the the space on the right-hand side of the curve was, was actually pretty narrow. And what that meant was that, that very often you could build lists where the expected result would be three hits or very close to it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I keep thinking back to um, Quickdraw as an example because, okay, fire, fire control system in first edition meant that after you did an attack, you could, and if you spent a lock, you could reacquire that lock on the same target. Um, so it was, you know, I'll spend my lock and then I'll reacquire it. Um, so it wasn't just reroll a single dice. Um, so you had quick draw with expertise and fire control system. And I'm sorry if I give any of our listeners um, either a what's he talking about? I've only played since second edition or if somebody's getting PTSD about this. Um, but basically you, you throw 
um, you know, three or four dice because he'd be in range one. Um, he'd fire control system, reacquire lock, um, have expertise, which turned all focuses into hits. So it was a permanent focus on attack um, as long as you weren't stressed. Um, so that was great because that was probably three or four hits if he'd, if he'd find himself at range one. Um, and then he would do it again when if you were stupid enough to shoot at him and take a shield off him um, and do exactly the same thing again. And quick draw used to be an absolute menace. Um, I remember we used to play Small and Mighty, which was one small base ship under, what was it, 40 points in first edition, something like that. Um, and quick draw, if you completely loaded him up, was 40 points. And he always won those tournaments because one on one, you couldn't shoot him. Um, and he moved to I6. So, you know, one on one or nine, whatever it was at the time. Um, so you couldn't shoot him um, because if you shot him, he shot you back. Um, but he was always shooting harder than you. And the little laugh you just did there means that I know you're remembering these things warmly um, oh, because yeah. Oh, yeah. that was that's the kind of dice modification that you enjoy in your lists. Um, and I think it's it's been telling for me over the last couple of weeks because we've been chatting for a while that you've not been enjoying the game as much. And I think that's because you hadn't found a list that allowed you to move to the right of the variance curve to guarantee yourself or near as be damned guarantee yourself um, the, those hits in this new Boba thing that's floating around since the points changes and since hyperspace. He does all of that variance mitigation. So he gets his rerolls, he gets his focuses, he gets his permanent force from Maul that he can regen for every defence. Um, which means that you can fly him into the teeth of six or eight ships. Um, and as long as you you know, you know don't bump so you get a reinforce on the front, I think Fly Better said that he's expected damage from eight droids, some at range one, some at range two, is something absurd like 3.4 or something with all eight of them shooting at him. Um, as long as he doesn't care how stressed he gets from constantly regenerating with Maul and he's got a reinforce up, Bob ain't going to die um, flying into the Maul of something that would kill anything else. Um and that kind of variation mitigation is the kind of thing that was incredibly common at the end of first edition, but is rare in second edition. And now yeah. I think we're going to see very, very good players who pick up on and play ships, um, particularly individual pieces that can mitigate variance to maximize their ability to, you know, win tournaments and um, picking these up. So, um, Keith, one of the, the other Sith takers, picked up the three times world champion Paul Heaver, won a store championship with a, a Boba Fett build, the same Boba Fett that won the UK system open. Different other ships, and we're not going into lists today, so we shan't bother. Um, but, you know, um, the Sith taker open was won by um, Tom, effectively flying the same Boba Fett, uh, Boba Fett but with Fenn instead of um, Koshka. Um, so I think that and we have talked about Boba before and everybody's talked about him. He is a very, very strong piece. And I think yeah. it's just simply down to the fact that he mitigates variance. Now, I've done a Bob there because I've just talked for five minutes without breathing. So I'm going <laughs> to take, take a breath and, and give you a well, turn. You're right in that I haven't enjoyed the game as much until the, the January points change. I mean, I had two or three months where I wasn't playing a great deal. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't that excited about it. And then the points changed the Bobber build opens up and he's always been all right, but that particular setup is, is really nice with him. But it made me think about how frustrating I found variants and, and how players have a different reaction to random elements in their game. It, it, 
variance is exciting because it gives a weaker player a chance to beat a stronger player. And that makes it fun. It makes tournaments interesting. It means that you don't just have one tournament a year with a ranking of 1 to 100 and everyone stays there roughly in place unless they make, have a day where they just make some bad decisions. And we don't want to play chess. You know, if we wanted to play chess, that's a reasonably well-established game that we can go and play. However, my feeling was not that, that X-Wing was too close to chess, but for, for quite a while in 2.0, it's been a bit too much like Snakes and Ladders, where success depends entirely on random elements. I played uh, a month ago in the uh, IQ Games uh, League uh, competition, and I had three games. And in the first game, I rolled really badly, but I was confidently outflown by Alan, Alan Watson. The, the games two and three, the dice were kind to me. In game three, they were very kind to me against uh, Will Watley and Watley Senior. And I think I probably flew maybe, certainly no worse than them, but probably not a lot better. But I won because the dice dictated it was my time to win. Whereas in the game against Alan, yes, he outflew me, but it wouldn't have mattered how well I'd flown because the dice were, were making such a mess uh, of, of Bobber that uh, it was it was impossible, really, for... Uh, in fact, no, it wasn't Bob, but it was uh, Jumpmasters. Uh, it was impossible for me to, to feel that I had any chance at all in the game. And I think there is the complaint made that people don't like turning up and feeling that the game is, is won or lost before they arrive at the table, which is a, a legitimate concern. On the other hand, if the game is won or lost because you're second place in the dice rolling comp competition, I don't think that's a, a more satisfying experience than turning up to find that your metacall was bad. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I understand entirely what you're saying, and it is incredibly frustrating when you are confident that you have outflown somebody, and it's not just you know kind of an, an ego thing um, talking. Um, because you know we we do play with people and know people who say after they lose a game, I felt like I totally outflew you, but the dice just screwed me. Um, and I'm, uh, it's not you or I or or uh, you know a lot of other people do this as well. Um, you know, it's one of those weird things on casual nights where people the people say like you know oh if this had been a tournament I'd have done it differently or you know I outflew you but my dice screwed me and it's it's a bit of a salt thing. Um, and I kind of agree that um, if all all of the things being equal, if two players are of about the same skill level, then whoever gets the dice luck is going, you know, and lists are kind of on a parity and you've not lost at the list building stage and so on. Um, whoever gets the dice luck is going to win that game. Um, but we do still see the same half a dozen to a dozen names topping out at tournaments. Um, maybe it's not all in the same tournament. And, you know, if you look at the UK system open, some incredibly good players did not make day two. Um, so um, prime examples uh, like Ben Lee, who's won the European Championships, who's been, you know, been a, a steadfast, steady, steady top tier player, didn't make day two. I, I don't know how well he did, but I know he didn't do um, five and one. Um, but then, you know, you look at a player like Ollie Pocknell, who's been to a handful of um, biggish tournaments, um, you know, and he's won one or two of them. Um, but he always, always, always makes cut. Um, and that's, if you ever listen to him playing or watch any of his videos or watch any of his streams, you can hear him talking himself through the averages. 
and he says, I should take two damage here, but it's worth it because I should do four. And then he rolls his damage and he goes, oh, well, that was worse than expected. And then he adjusts his play to that. Um, one yeah, of the other guys, yeah, well, I was just going to say one of the other guys in the 186, um, Julian Hood, another really, really good player, um, does the same thing with his dice. He keeps track of expected um, of variation from expected results. So just like plus one, minus one. Um, but he keeps a, a running total of it per game, and he just kind of goes, you know, I, I played him twice at the Sith Taker Open, and he, he, you know, he was saying, you know, you're, oh no, sorry, once at the Sith Taker Open, I should say, um, and he said, you know, to me at one point, your dice are on plus thirteen and mine on minus seven or something, so that's why this is as close as it is. If we'd got expected results, that would be dead. And I was like, all right, fine. Um, so you know, I I benefited from positive variance on on my side there. He still won the game at the end of it because. He's so much better a player than I am, and no, no shame in saying that. That um, you know, even though the dice were weighted in my favour on that game, as it seemed, um, he was still able to take uh, to to win the day. Um, so I think variance does play a massive part, and I think it will impact the fun for people who are average players. Um, well, I, so I, I found that I found that it didn't just make me feel a bit bitter about some losses. It also takes the pride out of wins. You know, if you're sat there just chucking crits out of hand at people and their evade dice aren't working, there isn't a massive amount of satisfaction in winning that game if you've won it through beating them on the dice rolling competition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's easy to sort of get excited about, oh, well, I shouldn't have lost, I shouldn't have lost. It, it needs a bit more character and discipline to say, well, actually, I shouldn't have won. Yeah, I, I guess there's, there's a counterpoint to that, which is... Um, I think it is better to lose to dice variants than it is to lose when you open your bag and take your ships out, um, which at the end of version one, um, particularly lists like Ghost Fem, um, but Paratani was another example. Um, 100 Point Miranda was another example um, where, you know, it, there was a system open where Ghost Fem was everywhere. And, you know, there was a game where I um, opened my ships, um, a thing I'd had dash pole, um, plonked them down he pulled out um, Ghost Fen and I was just like right can't win this or if I do manage to win it it's because of an awful lot of luck and I've outflown the player turned out they were a good player so I didn't manage to outfly them completely um, and I lost and it was like a, a 95 to 5 or a 90-10 matchup now I know that players who are better than me and were better than me with that combo um, were able to win some games against Ghost Fen but you know it, I always think variance is better to lose to because at least you know you can then join the crowds of people shouting "Who oh, are my dice?" Um, than you know saying "Oh well, I lost because I was playing against a tie swarm and there's nothing I could do against the tie swarm because I've got something else that jousts just worse." Um, um, variance does variance does matter in in that it, it means that you can't just play it out like a game of chess in your head when you start the game, you, you don't just rack up your ships and say, well, if I put those uh, that deployment, then he'll do this, then I'll do that, then he'll do this, then I'll do that, then he'll do this, and then I'll have won. And it means that your plan for the next turn and the turn after can have to change and develop, and it's why dice are crucial to X-Wing, and they must be a part of X-Wing, because when they don't perform or they overperform, you change your plan to take account of that. But I, yeah. I at least felt that with the lists like uh, Ghost Fen, they were a puzzle to solve, they were strong, they were recognisable, you could see them coming at you from the 10 tournament tables to the left of you, 
And it meant that if you could develop a plan for them, you immediately went into those games with an advantage. They weren't easy to beat, and you definitely had to pick ships that could do it. The 100-point raid build that, that I ran for about six months was very good against Ghost Fed, certainly 50-50, and in fact, probably rather more than that. So I was delighted when people got the Ghost Fen out. So it, it, it maybe the Ghost Fen player had lost at the list building stage, mm-hmm. but it serves, serves them right for taking a, a tedious list that is eating the world. <laughs> I mean, it, you're, I do remember the tournaments where, you know, you, people were either playing the Ghost or they were playing the Ghostbusters, and it was, you know, it, it became a case of, you know, are the Ghosts going to actually win through um, versus the Ghost versus the people who've tried to build something that's going to counter them? Um, or are all of the things that uh, people have built to try and counter the ghost going to just knock each other out and then a ghost's going to win it anyway? Um, I think it was the Nationals, the last Nationals in version one, where it was Fishy versus Tom in the final. And Fishy had a 100-point Miranda. Tom had um, Ghost Fen. Um, Tom had some horrible variants. So, you know, even at the end of Ghost uh, of version one, where there was horrible variants, um, you know, it still happened. Um, then you know, Fishy closed it out after that. You know, a couple of rounds where the dice swung um, in his favour. Um, I'm pro- possibly horribly misremembering and, and misrepresenting that, but um, so apologies if I am. But uh, you know, it, it, variance has, has always happened. It has always been a part of the game, and it will always be. What I think is going to be interesting is seeing what FFG do with the design space, because right now, like, it's really hard to get double mod on defence. So you have to be an Inquisitor or a Jedi with more than one force, or I think Anakin Skywalker and a Naboo are the only three ways to get focus evade or, or a focus effect plus evade. Um, and then on attack, you know, there's a very limited number of ways that probably involves inter-squad dependencies to get double mods on offense. And I don't think there's any way to get triple mods on offense yet, um, unless you're adding a dice, but... Yeah. I mean that's got to be that's got to be coming um, because if they don't introduce some power creep, no one needs to buy any ships ever again. If you want to buy a, an X-wing collection, you can pop onto eBay now and pick up a ton of ships, uh, get yourself a conversion kit, and and you're off to the races. And if they want to carry on uh, manufacturing a game that that actually makes money, so that it's worthwhile putting these events on, then they're going to have to introduce some ships that have some real power and some and consequently some real power creep. I mean, I, I, I think I agree with you, and I, I think it will come. It's interesting that in the last rules reference update, they've actually taken a step that's removed double mods from two ships um, with the Composure nerf. Um, composure was, was really, really edge case. Only Snap Wexley and was it Major Von Reg could notionally use it to get focus target lock on, on an attack. Um, but they nerfed Composure so that you couldn't take any further actions after you got your free focus which meant that those two ships could no longer get free double mods. So it's interesting to me that they've taken a step to, rather than just going, oh, do you know what, we'll bump Composure up to five points because this edge case means that these two ships will be able to get double mods and if people really want it, they'll still take it. Um, but they just say, no, actually, that doesn't work. Because um, nowadays, you know, if you want to get double mods on, a, on an attack, you're basically taking something that's got native mods. This is why Jedi are so good, because they've got, two or three force or even one force it's fine um and they can if they want to take target locks and so they're double modding every attack um and if they can't get that off then you know they can take an evade or sit behind a death or whatever this is why jedi are good because they've got easy access to double mods 
Inquisitors with Jendon was a really, really good list. It probably is still a really, really good list because Jendon's ability allows them to get all of the target locks on the first turn, which means that they've got force plus an evade plus a target lock. So if you shoot at them, they can spend their evade to, to stay alive and then they can double mod attack you. Um, and this is, you know, part of um, Ollie Pocknell's world's winning squad was Grand Inquisitor, who was the bait that everybody chased after um, for the entirety of worlds. And that's what he was there for, to be tasty looking, but really hard to kill. Um, it turns out it was. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. And it, it's rare, but it's not invisible. And I think it shows from results that those ships and those abilities and those squads that have easy access to double modifications, either on offense or on defense, are going to do better. Um and you will get the odd outlier, the odd thing where something different wins that doesn't have that stuff. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're going to start seeing the strong players who do do well in every single tournament, picking up these really strong lists and then coming back and doing well in the next set of tournaments again. So, Yeah. OK. Um, well, just before we wrap up, is, is, are you satisfied with where they are, where we are on variants at the moment? Do you think it, it makes sense to to have a guy who can walk into a tournament with five X-Wings and just hope he's the guy that rolls best that day and do really well? I think five X-Wings is, is a weird list because it's got enough health to be able to ride out a couple of turns where if you play it in a certain way, you might end up with some double modded shots later on. Um, so, you know, if you take locks on the first engage or whatever, or the first time you get the opportunity to take locks, you start doing that. Um, but I think that if you're going to put five three-dice guns on the table, then you're sacrificing your access to more modifications. And you're saying, all right, I'm going to throw more dice at you. And eventually my dice will come to average. Um, and on some of them, I might get three or four hits out of hand or three or four paint out of hand and, and ha be happy. Um, and on other ones, I'll, you know, roll two blanks of focus and a hit or three blanks and a focus or whatever. Or, you know, I'll roll four focuses when I've spent my focus on defense or wh whatever might happen. Um, I don't think, I, I think saying whoever rolls dice better is a bit of a, like, I get why you're saying it, but, you know, it's, luck with dice has always been a thing. It will always be a thing. And I don't think the game is any better or worse for it. Um, I think that there are so many other factors in whether you win or lose a game that even though variance is a massive contributing factor now, to blame a win or a loss on your dice is not good. Um, or not not good. What am I trying to say? Um, it's a bit disingenuous to blame dice um, when there are other factors and... We've talked about this before, and I've, I've talked about it before on other podcasts and stuff, um, is that being able to self-reflect and actually think, is the reason that I lost because I didn't K-turn my X-Wings and come back down the board edge for another two turns before I turned in? Um, is it that I turned in and took a bad engage, and so therefore I had to roll dice? Um, I didn't wait for the good engage, and I think that's where good players do well and good, you know, and how you can spot a good player is because they not only know what a bad engage is, but they know how to get out of it um, and how to generate those good engages. So that's the thing. Timo talked about it when he was on a few a few episodes ago um, with Koshka and Boba, was he was just waiting for the perfect engage. And that's, 
you know, he had all the dice modifications. He had everything that he needed in the list. He had the ammunition to be able to do it. Um, but he still was just waiting and waiting and waiting until he got the perfect ability to jump in, stress things up with Koshka, mash Bob into range one, nuke something off the board, then fly away, drop proton bombs and shoot them out the butt, take another thing off the board. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm happy with where the game is right now. I do enjoy it. I'm, I'm enjoying X-Wing a lot. Weirdly, I prefer flying the lists that have got a lot of single mods than reducing the number of guns I've got for um, double mods. So I flew Jedi for a bit and I didn't get on with them. Um, they're not sturdy enough. Um, and weirdly enough, it's actually because variants. Um, a couple of games where Jedi were just popping because it was flying CLTs and, you know, one bad green dice roll and, and off they go. Um, so, you know, yeah, that, well, that's actually... It. That, that, that put me off a list. So That is very much it. One bad green dice roll, and there they go. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. So thank you all for listening. And it's Tata from Rich Polly. Yeah, sorry for my verbal diarrhoea. Bye. <laughs> and goodbye from me, Bob D. And bye-bye, Vince. We'll miss you, mate.